When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Those were the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 16. The saints in Colossae received an inspired letter from Paul, which had to be an amazing thing to consider, and they read it, as did other churches. Now, if you were here this morning, we did something a little bit different this morning, and when I wrote this outline, when I say a little bit different, I wasn't necessarily talking about the setup that we have here uh, this morning, although that is a little bit different as well. But we did something a little bit different, and when I say a little bit different, I don't mean anything that is wrong scripturally or anything like that. But we read from the book of Galatians. We read the entire book of Galatians. And we certainly have Bible authority to do that in our worship, as what we're doing right now. But it was different in the sense, and maybe you felt that way too, I actually heard some people who really enjoyed it. Different in the sense that it wasn't just a couple of verses that we read, but reading the entire letter of Paul to the churches of Galatia. When you were listening to the words being read, and you were probably following along as well, were there certain thoughts that really stood out to you? Were there certain phrases or themes that you picked up on as the men were leading us uh, in that reading this morning? When I think about the saints in the churches of Galatia, I'm sure there were many different thoughts and things like that as they heard this letter being read to them. And I want to look at the book of Galatians this morning with the rest of our time that we have here. The elders wanted me to present a lesson from the book of Galatians. And so as I was trying to figure out how to approach this lesson, I thought of a couple of things. You know, as a preacher, you know, there are six chapters. So I thought about, well, there could be six points to this sermon, right? That would have a nice little flow where we could talk about a chapter at a time and some things that we learn from each chapter at a time. But then I thought about the saints in the first century as they are reading this letter or hearing this letter being read. Well, there were no chapters and there were no verses. They're just going to hear this entire letter. And what's going to stand out to them as they're listening to the words of the Apostle Paul? And so what I would like to do, I like to just share some, some thoughts from the book of Galatians, some thoughts that I have had reading it and studying it, and maybe some thoughts that you have had along the way as well. Now, there is good news, and the good news is maybe when you were listening to the book, you had some questions about some things that you heard. Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a new quarter, and Brother Troy is going to be leading an entire class in the book of Galatians. It's going to be an adult class. And so those questions that you may have from the book, you'll have plenty of opportunity to study during that Bible class. Before we begin our study this morning, I'd just like to say welcome. Thank you again for being here. It certainly is a blessing to be here this morning, being able to gather with the saints. Uh, I see a number of visitors from the community, and I believe other congregations as well, who are here with us this morning. And I'm really grateful for our elders and our deacons uh, who have allowed us and helped us to to be able to gather together in such an orderly fashion this morning. And for the sisters who helped prepare the Lord's Supper as well, along with all the other individuals who took part in that as well. May God bless each and every one of you. So let's talk about these six chapters here. What stood out to you? What were some big themes that you saw, that you heard, that you picked up on as you looked at it, as you read and listened to the book of Galatians? One of the big thoughts that I thought about that I want to share with you this morning is the fact with Paul. One of the big things that stood out to me was the authority 
of the Apostle Paul. That stand out to you as well? You look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 1. What's Paul doing? He's going to be setting the tone here, making sure that they understand uh, who he is and the authority that he has. He began by saying in verse number 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. One of the things that's interesting as you look at chapter 1, as Paul is introducing himself and writing to these churches here, he uses that not but construction. And I think he's doing that to, to emphasize, again, who he is and his authority, that they need to listen to him. And defending almost his apostleship and that they have been listening to some people they should not have been listening to. They needed to ultimately listen to him. He was not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He would do that again in verse number 11. Uh, in verse number, verse number 10, he said, for, I am, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not have been a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, he used that not but construction. This is not where I got it from. I got what I gave to you, what I presented to you, what I preached to you. I got that from Christ. And my words indeed, they are authoritative in nature. Paul wanted to be sure that the saints believed the words that he had delivered to them, the words that they had been given. And verse number, verse number 20, he would say, Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And so Paul is going to make it very clear here. Listen, indeed, I have authority from, from God. I am one of the apostles, and you need to listen to my words. I don't know about you, but when you heard the book of Galatians being read, did it sound a little bit different than some of the other books that Paul wrote to some of the churches? One of my favorite, or I guess two of my favorite letters are the letters to the church in Thessalonica. When I think about Thessalonica, I think about a lot of positive things that Paul commended and shared with those saints in Thessalonica about their faith and how their faith is being spread and their love and how they are excelling still more in the things that, that they were doing with one another and in their walk with Christ. But this letter reads a little bit differently. He does use some of the the phrases and thoughts that he had in other letters, like in verse number three of chapter one, where he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the tone is quite different. Did you pick up on that? The tone, the message that Paul is going to address or to give in this letter, it's quite different than some of the other letters that he wrote. He did not sugarcoat anything. He's coming to them as an apostle and they need to listen to what he has to say to them. In verse number 6 of chapter 1, Paul would say, I am amazed, I marvel, I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting him. There's a problem right there. Who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another, but only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
Listen to what he says next. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And he's going to drive that point home. As we have said before, so I, again, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. In chapter 3, Paul used strong language in chapter 3 and verse number 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard where it says, Paul said, You foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In chapter 4 and verse number 16, chapter 4 and verse number 16, listen to the language that Paul used here. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul wanted them to hear this message very clear. They had indeed received the truth. And now he's going to have to correct them about some things. And he wants them to know, am I, am I now your enemy because of what I am sharing with you? In chapter 4 and verse number, in verse number 19, chapter 4 and verse 19, he said, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. There's a big problem that Paul is going to have to address. In chapter 5 and verse number 7, he said, You were running well. You started off good. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So the message, the tone is a little bit different, and the tone is pretty strong by the Apostle Paul, and rightfully so. There's a lot of things at stake. So I want you to consider if you're listening or hearing this letter being read, you're part of one of the churches of Galatia during the first century, and you're hearing this letter being read in the public assembly. How might you feel? Nervous? Scared? Sorrowful? I think all of those would be appropriate because what Paul is saying here is very powerful. And he's going to make it clear that indeed what he had delivered to them, what he had shared with them, Indeed, was from God and authoritative in nature. In chapter 2 and verse number 7, in chapter 2 and verse number 7, as he talked about Peter, I think what Paul is helping them to see is, listen, uh, the same one who worked through Peter, just as God worked through Peter, he also has worked through me. In chapter 2 and verse 7, he said, But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter... In his apostleship to the circumcised affectionately worked for me also to the Gentiles. They needed to listen to him. They needed to listen to his words. Indeed, his words were inspired in nature. As I think about the book of Galatians, it's a powerful reminder for us, just as it was for the saints in the first century, that Christians need to listen and abide to the words of the apostles. Would you agree with that? That we need to listen and trust the words of the apostles. I'm going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. After about 3,000 souls had been saved, what we find by Luke, he records in verse number 42. Look over in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. We get a glimpse of what was taking place in the first century and with the brethren there. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the standard, because these men were sent out 
They were sent out by God. They were inspired and led by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 and verse 12 and 13, before Jesus would die on the cross, as he spoke to his apostles, he told them in John chapter 16 and verse number 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. These men like Paul and Peter and the others were guided by the Holy Spirit. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. There were some who were disturbing the saints in the churches of Galatia, going back to chapter 1, as Paul is going to talk a great deal about this problem here in chapter 1. Paul is going to make it clear that there are some who were disturbing them. He said in verse number 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you. The sad thing about it is that some of the the disciples were listening to those who have been disturbing them and teaching things that were false and contrary to the words of the apostles. When I think about the book of Galatians, we are reminded, I'm reminded at least, that, that the words of the apostles are a really big deal. You know, a lot of people today make the claim that they are apostles. I remember a number of years ago when I went to, to Africa and we were coming back and, uh, and, and making our way back to the States, we ran across a couple and a husband and wife and they were in the, the ministry and they talked about how they were apostles. And a lot of people make claims like that today, that they are somehow unique or set apart from others or they have some special revelation. Brothers and sisters, the apostles that we need to listen to are the ones that we find in this book. We need to listen to their words. And that was a challenge for many of the saints during that time in the first century. They weren't listening to the words of the apostles. They weren't listening to the message that Paul had delivered to them. Let's make sure that we don't make that same mistake. The authority of Paul and the other apostles, it's a really big deal. We need to make sure that we listen to them. As I think about this book or this letter that was, that was written to the churches of Galatia, there's another big thought or theme that comes to mind, and this ties directly with what Paul was just talking about, being an apostle. And I'm sure you picked up on this as well, is that there is one true gospel. Did you pick up on that? Over and over again, what's he emphasizing? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the message. Uh, The good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and how we ought to respond to him. In fact, you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 3. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. That's what people need today. People need to be rescued from their sins. Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. From this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. There's only one true gospel. The message that Paul had delivered to these Christians here, that was the true gospel, the message of Christ. And they needed to hold on to that truth. They had received the truth concerning Jesus and who he is, concerning his life and his death, his burial and resurrection, and how to respond to all the things that he has done. They had been redeemed from their sins and justified through him by faith. He was the one that had died from their sins. And Paul is going to talk a great deal of the fact that justification comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not in the law of Moses. 
He's going to be driving this point home time and time again. In the middle part of the book, if you look over in chapter 3 and verse number 24, and chapter 3 and verse number 24, listen to what he says here. Chapter 3 and verse number 24, Paul said, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. He's reminding them and hoping to see justification is not going to come through the law of Moses, but rather it's through Jesus Christ by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You go back to chapter 2, he emphasized this as well. In chapter 2 and verse number 16, in chapter 2 and verse number 16, he's going to emphasize this quite a bit here. He says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. He's emphasizing the fact that they indeed had received the true gospel. There's only one true gospel. And if they were truly desired to be the sons of Abraham, that it would come through faith in Jesus Christ and not the law. In chapter 3 and verse number 7, he said in chapter 3 and verse number 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And yet what do we see? They had received the truth. They had received the, the true gospel that Paul had delivered to them as he delivered everywhere he went. And yet the problem was someone had been messing with the divine message. There were some who were disturbing them, false brethren, people teaching things contrary to the will of God, contrary to the truth. And what's powerful about this letter is that Paul is shocked. I can't believe this. What I gave you was the truth. And now others have come along and have deceived you. That language in chapter 5 where we read earlier is just really powerful. And it's a warning sign for us. He said, you were running well. They started off good. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They had received the truth. They had received the one true gospel. And any other message, any other message, whether by man or an angel, was to be rejected. And not only that, you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 8 and verse number 9, Paul, he is very strong in his language because you cannot mess with the word of God. You can't change the message that the apostles had given. He said in verse number 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, doomed, destruction, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I again say now, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Those words are pretty powerful, and they should be taken very seriously. What was so different about this gospel? This different gospel that was that was being taught? Well, well there were false brethren. Judaizing teachers who, who sought to bind things like circumcision from the law of Moses and, and, and saying circumcision is necessary if you want to be saved and trying to get these Christians to go back to the law of Moses. And yet Paul is making it very clear you're not going to be justified if you do that. In fact, the language is very strong from Paul in chapter 5 and verse number 4. In chapter 5 and verse number 4, as he talked about circumcision, in verse number 2, let's start back there. He said, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You see, that's what that perverted gospel was, was going to, that was going to be the end result if they continued down that path. And so this was the danger for these Christians in the first century. The law had served its purpose. The law helped men to, to lead the Jews to Christ. But justification now was only going to come through Jesus Christ. And that's why the warning from the Apostle Paul all throughout this letter is really powerful. You go over and look at chapter 4. Look back and look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, in verse number 9, Paul said this. He said, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless element, elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You go down this path, you're going to be enslaved again. And he would go on to say in verse number uh, in verse number uh, 14, I lost my place here. Look at verse number uh, 10, rather. He said, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. You see, they were listening to this other gospel. But the problem is there's not another gospel. There's only one true gospel. And that is the gospel that Paul had delivered to them. This was the message that they were to hold on to. Any other message was to be rejected. Brothers and sisters, what a powerful thought for us today. There are some who are still seeking to to, to change the message of Christ, to change the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's not with respect to trying to get individuals to be circumcised when it comes to, to being saved or being necessary for salvation. But there are no doubt about it people who are teaching and preaching another gospel, which is not another. There's only one true gospel. As I think about this, and as you think about this letter here, number one, it's very important that we understand what the truth actually is. We need to know what is it that Jesus actually says about who he is and what he's done and how we respond to him. Because there are individuals in the world who are teaching things contrary to the will of God, who are teaching things that are false. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 6, the apostle John would use that kind of language. He would talk about things that are true, and he would talk about things that are in error, things that are false. And a lot of people don't even like to use that kind of language, but there is a distinction between truth and error. When I think about so many things that are often taught today, You know, there are different gospels with respect to, you know, what people teach about Christ and how to respond to the to the salvation and to his amazing grace. I think one of the biggest things that is often proclaimed today that is contrary to the will of God. You know, you think about the Judaizing teachers and how they were trying to to bind circumcision. You cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. A lot of people today are saying, well, you know what? Baptism isn't necessary to be saved. You don't need to be baptized in order to be saved. You don't need to be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. This message is proclaimed by so many people. And while they may be good-hearted and sincere, brothers and sisters, that's not the message that we read about in the Word of God. We don't read anywhere in the Word of God with respect to saying a sinner's prayer when it comes to salvation. 
Many people today no longer teach about baptism being necessary for the forgiveness of sins. One of the most powerful thoughts in chapter 3, though, is as Paul was talking to them about the law and how the law had served its purpose and how justification comes, uh, justica- justification comes by faith in Christ, he said in verse number 26 and verse number 27, For you are all sons of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, that's who they were presently. They were children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he reminded them of what they had done in the past. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, that's how they became sons of God, through faith and baptism into Jesus Christ. And that's how they put on Christ. There are many messages that are being floated around and disguised as being the gospel of Jesus Christ. For many today, Christianity is almost like Jesus loves me, therefore I can live however I want, and he'll just kind of understand. Well, that's not what we find in the Word of God. That's not what we find in the gospel message. Just as important as repentance is and as belief is in the gospel, so is re- or baptism, so is repentance. And how we conduct ourselves as we follow Jesus Christ. And sadly, if you go back and look at Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read this verse again. You look back in Galatians chapter 5, he said, you were running well. Some of those Christians had been deceived. You were running well. There was someone who was disturbing them and causing them to be so quickly removed from the one who had called them, the one who died on the cross for their sins. If that can happen to them, that could happen to them. It can happen to us, which is a reminder that we need to know the word of God. We need to hear God's word. We need to listen to it. We need to know the distinction between truth and error. There's only one true gospel. And what a blessing it is for the true gospel. Let me just say this as well. Maybe there's someone here this morning who has not obeyed the gospel. This isn't the invitation yet, all right? But maybe there's someone here this morning who has not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. You see, there's great news because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the fact that he died and was risen on the first day of the week. There's only one true gospel. That's something that stood out to me. The last thought I want to share with you, and then we'll wrap it up here, is that as I was reading the book of Galatians and listening to it again, one of the big things that stood out to me is that relationships matter. Maybe you picked up on that as well. This has really been on my mind quite a bit, being in Tim's Bible class, looking at the one another passages all throughout the New Testament. And that's been our theme, one heart, one soul. And one of the things that I saw as I was reading this were the one another passages. Will you take note and look at chapter 5 and verse number 13? Paul said, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. In chapter 5 and verse 15, he said, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And verse number 26 of the same chapter, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. He's going to emphasize the relationship between brethren in chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Over and over again, he's going to emphasize the relationship that these brethren were to have with one another. And so much so that when they had opportunity that they were to do good to all men, 
and especially those of the household of faith. And verse number 6 of chapter 10, that's what he said. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As I think about this letter here, it's a powerful reminder of the importance with respect to the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all play a part in the body of Christ. Do not be deceived in thinking that you're not important. And when I say important, I don't mean that the spotlight is to be on you or me or that everything revolves around me or you, but just simply in the sense that we all have a role to play and that we all need one another. We all are a part of this. And we need one another. And this is what Paul is going to emphasize. There's work for all of us to do. These brethren, they needed to work together. They needed to assist one another, to love one another. And even when necessary, those who were caught in trespass, restore such a one and a spirit of gentleness. Those were things that needed to be done among the people of God. And those are things that need to be done among us today. As we think about who we are and the relationships that we have with one another in Jesus Christ, it's not a competition. It's not a competition, and it's not about who's in the spotlights. We're, we're all one in Christ. That's what Paul would emphasize in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We all have a role to play. We all have work to do with one another. And this work that we are to do, It's to take place every day. It's a big deal. It should be a big deal in our eyes. This idea of one heart, one soul, and the fact that we need one another. This is something that we need to make sure that we hold on to. I think about Paul here in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul, as he was uh, talking about what happened with Peter, or with Peter and Barnabas and those who had been uh, led away or joined Peter in his hypocrisy. Peter needed Paul. And Barnabas needed Paul. They all needed one another. And thank goodness for Paul and being able to talk to Peter and to help him because the Bible says that he stood condemned. The relationships that we have in Jesus Christ, they are a really big deal. And I know that we view one another in that way, that what we have here as a family should never be taken for granted. What we have here as a family is something that is very special. And it's something that we truly need to appreciate. The book of Galatians is a great book. Six chapters, but there's a lot in this book. Enough that you can study it for three months. And that's what we're going to do beginning next quarter. We have been reminded, and we've only touched the tip of the iceberg here. But we have been reminded that indeed we're a part of something special. That our salvation should be important. What Christ has done for us on the cross was a really big deal. That the gospel is important. That guarding our heart from false doctrine is important. And what we're doing as a family here is a really big deal. Let's make sure that we hold on to this and let's make sure that we understand who we are in Jesus Christ and what he has done for each and every one of us. I think about what's happening in the world. People are looking for answers for a variety of things. Jesus, he is the one that died on the cross for the sin of the world. And he is the one that all men need to turn to. And if you're outside of Jesus Christ this morning, if you are not saved, 
If you have not been baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins and put on Christ, if you have not been clothed with Christ, now is your opportunity to do so. Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that he was risen from the grave? Are you willing to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, you can be saved by his precious blood. Maybe there's someone here this morning who is in need of salvation. Now is your time. Today is the day because tomorrow is truly not promised. If that's you, come now as we stand and as we sing.